Oh, but this morning we're continuing our look at Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10 uh, is where we're going to be this morning. We've been walking through this wonderful book. Uh, we at Redeemer love to go through books of the Bible. Um, we've only really existed for about a year or so. Uh, and then even before that, starting in the home and those kind of things. And so we've actually already gone through a few books of the Bible already in a couple years. Uh, we started Mark, like I think in November of last year. And kind of the goal is to finish Mark around Easter uh, this coming year in 2024. Um, and so we're moving kind of quickly the past few weeks, and today we're going to slow down a little bit. We're going to kind of really dive into this one brief passage. It's a difficult passage, because uh, that's, that's why I wanted to sing the song that we were just singing. Uh, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. I'm putting my, play, I'm putting my surrender to you, and then now we have difficult passages uh, of, that goes against society. There's an old country song um, that has this phrase, and it. it says, I'm going to keep falling in love until I get it right. <laughs> I'm going to keep falling in love. Isn't that about every, Christian, I mean, every country song? I'm just falling in love. Maybe one time I'm going to get it right, and hopefully I'll finally just get it right. And really, I would argue that that is our culture's view of marriage, that you can easily just discard a marriage, end a marriage, because you didn't quite get it right. Maybe you didn't get it right the first time, so maybe hopefully you can get it right again the next time. Our culture's view of marriage is very weak. It's actually uh, make it very easy to uh, get a divorce. As I was preparing for this week, uh, my kids love Dude Perfect. I don't know if your kids are quite there yet. Some of you, you know, have, have toddlers, but you're like, yes, I'm there as an adult. I watch Dude Perfect. You know, they've, they've been in our lives for a long time on YouTube. They do these trick shots and all these uh, kind of things. And so one of their... Uh, in their series of things, every once in a while, they try to break a bunch of Guinness World Book records. And so they'll, they'll do some crazy, like some, I mean, so random, like walk across a long distance on Legos. <laughs> like, just let's, let's break the, the record for the longest distance of just walking barefoot across a bunch of Legos. Well, if you dive deep into the Guinness World Book of Records, there's another record that I don't know is that great of a record. And it's held by a man named Glenn, known as Scotty Wolf. And uh, his Guinness World Record is the amount of marriages, monogamous marriages, so not polygamy, uh, so single individual marriages. If you had a guess, you're curious maybe what it is, it's 29. 20, this man had 29 individual marriages, not like he was married to 29 people at the same time. 29 marriages, uh, whose first was married and he was first married in 1927. And it was believed that he had a total of 41 children. The, uh, the longest of his marriages was known to be about 11 years, and the shortest was two weeks. Um, I mean, we can kind of laugh at this, and it's kind of remarkable. I think he died in 1997. Um, but there was this article written on this man at the end of his life when he passed away, like his obituary. And I just want to highlight a couple things from that. It's really remarkable. man married 29 times. 41 children, potentially. <laughs> kind of hard to keep up with how many this man had. But listen to what this said. It said about this in his obituary in this article. It said, marriage was his life's work. And you're like, marriage, marriages was his life work, maybe. But at the end, it described him as this way, penniless, no one at his side. He was all alone. How tragic. A man in search like this 
country song, I'm going to keep falling in love until I get it right. Well, this man never quite got it right. And in our culture who looks at relationships on, specifically on what is your benefit to this relationship? How can I benefit from it? And if I don't benefit from it, let's just move on until something gets it right, until we get love right. Sadly, this is much of our culture, but this is not what Jesus has to say. And this morning, as we look at marriage, divorce, and remarriage, a topic that you know, I would love to just talk constantly about the gospel and tell more great stories. Sometimes we have to deal with passages as we walk through books of the Bible that are difficult for us to comprehend when especially we have a lens of culture telling us the complete opposite. So I want us to look at God's Word this morning with humble hearts, but also ready to hear what He has to say to us. And I'm going to read this passage. We're just going to look at 12 verses this morning. So Mark chapter 10. Here's the scene that is being set for us. It says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea, and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And now transition the scene to in the house with just the disciples. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is God's word. This is Jesus speaking directly to us as he's teaching on the topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We're going to look at several different aspects and, and really response to, as Jesus responds to this question. But I want you to notice, first of all, uh, as we're walking through this passage of Scripture, what we see is initially, here's the question, right? What is the question? The question that was brought to him is from the Pharisees, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This is the question, but we know that what is this question coming from? The question first is coming from, in a way, they're trying to test him, it tells us in verse 2. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked. So they're, they're already, their, their, their motives are, their ulterior motives. They're not just wanting to know, hey, what, what, what is lawful for a man within a relationship with a woman? What is, what is the lawful opportunities? What, 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 do you, what options do you have when it comes to divorce. This is not the question that they're really asking. They're wanting to delineate. They're wanting to see what is your specific view? Because their hope is, right, their hope is to divide. They want to see, all right, if he makes one statement, well, that's going to put a whole nother crowd totally against him. They're trying to limit him. We know already at this point that they are trying to trap him and they're trying to kill him. They're eliminating him. From the context where we know is also Jesus and his disciples are now back into the area where, if you remember back to Antipas, we looked at this earlier, Antipas, Antipas and John the Baptist had confronted 
him. Or if you remember, he confronted him about an unlawful marriage, and he said it was not right for you to, uh, for Herodias, uh, to, to you to take and to her to divorce her husband, and then to you to remarry your brother's wife. And what happened to John the Baptist? If you remember, he was beheaded, he was killed. And so naturally, probably even in the same area, maybe they're hoping that he'll say something that can get word back to him and that maybe the same thing that happened to John the Baptist would also happen to him. But you have to understand, in this day, and sometimes we think that we're so far advanced or sometimes we're so worse. We're like, man, our culture's so bad compared to the time in this period. No. Evil is evil, and it's been from, we see it all, I mean, you don't, my son this week was like, when I said, man, you know, when you get to Noah in chapter 6 and 7, and he's like, wait, what? Like, it already happens there? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't take long for the, for the world to fall apart, and, you, and then here comes uh, destruction and condemnation because of their sinfulness and their hearts being so hardened. So sometimes we think our culture is so bad, and it's like, yes, it is bad, but that's, it's been this way for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And in this day, there were two seemingly, um, from the Pharisees and also two rabbis who had differing viewpoints on divorce. And here's where it came from. You, you don't have to turn there this morning. If, you, if you'd like to look at it later, you can feel free to write it in your notes. But in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, 1 through 4, is where... Jesus' response, when he asked them, he said this. He asked them this question, or they asked him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, Jesus did, what did Moses command us? And that is where we're going to, to Deuteronomy 24. And that's where we see that there were instances of them giving divorce papers, if you will. That there was certificates of divorce given in this passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy. And that Moses had instituted this. And so that's what they're saying is like, they're like, all right, what is, what is Jesus going to say? What's his view? Because there was two viewpoints. There was two rabbis, one's Shammai, Rabbi Shammai. And, and their view of this was because in, in Deuteronomy 24, there's a phrase that's used about indecent is this word that's used. That, that this person, if, if someone does something indecent about them, that you would get a certificate, you could get a certificate of divorce. So naturally, the, the debate became, what does the meaning of indecent? What's the meaning? What did Moses mean when he says this? And what was the meaning behind it? And so there were two groups. Rabbi Shammai, in his view, indecent means scandalous or adulterous. It's, it's sexual immorality. And so for an adultery, someone who had committed an affair against their spouse, that's what the indecency word would mean. Then there was other, another rabbi in another section, and this is where the Pharisees fell as well, was Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel, he, he said that that word indecent can mean anything. Wives could be divorced for burning food. <laughs> they could, for talking too loud. Um, they could, I mean, for literally any reason, they could be, they, it had gotten so far that it was like literally anything. You could be talking too loud, you could be kind of annoy your husband, and so sure enough, and then again, when I say all this about a man and our husband and wife, oftentimes in this culture, there was a very predominantly male-dominating um, culture. But, and I want to say all of this to say not that Jesus or Moses con condoned any of that, actually the complete opposite. When Jesus came on the scene, I mean, here's a man who never married, never once lusted, and never, but had, women literally were flocking to him. 
They're wanting him to heal him. They're running to him. They're wanting to, to know more. They're sitting, I mean, remember Mary Magdalene, if you remember Mary as well, sitting at Jesus' feet, longing to, to learn from him and hear from him. And how Jesus even treated women was remarkable for the day compared to the culture around him at the time. But naturally, it was in this culture, all the way back to even the time of Moses, very patriarchal, dominating, domineering, really, culture where if a man said, you know, you don't, you're not pleasing me anymore, I can discard you. And so here's the thing, though. We tend to think that the Pharisees are as like hardliners, right? We think of them as like they, ha- they hold the law in high standing. And they're like, man, you can't do this, you can't do that, you better be doing this, and you got to watch what you're eating and doing, and all these things on Sabbath, for instance. But conveniently enough, they enjoyed the license that Hillel's view allowed. And again, notice their goal was in asking Jesus this question. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to single him out, and they're hoping to eliminate him. And so when Jesus asked them, what did Moses say? It's interesting that he says, they say, Moses allowed man to write certificate of divorce to send her away. But look at verse 5. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. He says, it's because of the hardness of your heart that this commandment was written. Because of the sinfulness of your world, the reality is marriages are going to fall apart because of this. And he's not, and we're going to get to this in a second, he's not condoning and saying, hey, it's okay to get a divorce. No, he, actually what we're going to see is we really see a lot of the opposite. But notice what he does. He says it's not that way from the beginning. And notice verse 6. But from the creation. What does he do? But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Isn't that interesting? And I want you to notice this first thing before we even, we're talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, is this, and you can write this down. You cannot understand marriage apart from gender. You cannot understand marriage apart from gender. Again, notice where he goes. It's interesting. When they ask him this question about, about divorce, where does he go? He doesn't go to answering a, a question about a divorce. He says, let me go all the way to the beginning. Let me go back to creation. And where do, what does creation story tell us? And he quotes it for us. He says, God made them. He didn't have to, isn't it interesting? He didn't have to say this. He could have just gone to verse 7 and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's marriage. He could have started there, but Jesus didn't start there. Interesting. He started with gender. He goes all the way back to before that, to God created man and woman. You see, in our culture that likes to try to tell us and tell people and tell the world what marriage is, that it can be between a man and a man, a woman and a woman. It can be you can have multiple um, marriages at the same time, polygamy. You can, you can get in and out of divorce. You can get out of relationships. You don't have to get married. You can have sex with your partner, all those kind of things, and you can do this freely as you, as you want. Jesus is saying from the beginning, God, meaning God's will how God designed marriage is between one man and one woman. And first, you cannot understand marriage apart from this aspect of gender. Secondly, notice the second thing is marriage is meant 
really restating the same thing again with number one, but adding a little bit more. Marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman united for life. That's how God designed marriage. Lifetime. Because I want you to notice this. Think about this when, it, when going back to gender. You see, marriage does not continue into heaven. That might be news to you. I can, I can, I can do another sermon at another time on that. But, but what does continue into eternity is gender. You will be a male and a female, and then there's angels and there's God for all of eternity. But, th- but marriage here is for this lifetime. And so marriage is meant to between one, between one man and one woman united for a lifetime. You see, the essence, um, I think Tim Keller, has written a, an, a, he wrote an excellent book, now passed away earlier this year. Um, he wrote an excellent book on the meaning of marriage, and I would commend it to you. Um, if you know someone who's, who's going to be married, I would really encourage you. If you're single and you're looking to get married at some point, I would encourage you to read that book. Excellent, excellent resource. Talks about the, he's oftentimes talking about the essence of marriage in his books. And what he says and defines it as, and we see it in this passage, is the essence of marriage is covenant relationship. It is this aspect of a commitment. It's a sacred promise of faithfulness and commitment till death do you part. You hear that phrase in weddings? And in a lot of weddings, people like to give their own vows, right? Like sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, like... ChatGPT may help with those now. Maybe more people will be like willing to do it. They're like, all right, man, help me out with a good, uh, a good um, vow. I don't love the idea of someone else kind of making up their own vows because a vow is a promise. And what tends to happen when we make up our own vows is like we would talk about affection. Oh, I love you. I, 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 love, I love the way you, you look, the way you do this. You know, like you're so wonderful, beautiful, you know, all these things. We're talking about the now. You see, the essence of, of marriage is not about today, that wedding day. It's about 20, 30, 40 years. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. It's a promise. You're looking that person in the eye between, before God and a congregation of people or whoever's there to say, I love you and I will continue to love you. I am promising, not necessarily talking about today. I'm talking about 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, if the Lord wills. It's a covenant. It's a relationship. Notice what he says. From the beginning creation, God made them male and female, so gender. Therefore, a man shall what? He's going to leave, literally leave his father and mother, and it's a new family is formed. And notice what he says. They're to hold fast. This is that picture of covenant relationship. It's a loyalty. It's a commitment. Hold fast to his wife. And notice this, the two become one. They're not just two individuals hanging out and doing life together and having some benefits. They are one. Paul describes it, Jesus also describes it in different ways, but Paul describes it as like the two become one. That it's not, you're not in control of your own body anymore and they're not in control of their own body. You are one together. So I don't love the idea when couples are like, well, I have my separate bank account. This person has their separate bank account. You know, I work, you work. We kind of keep our, we'll mix here and there. I pay for this, you pay for that. Like, no, you become one as a couple. Everything together. There's a a oneness to that. That's the picture of sexual intimacy is a coming together as a one together. And this is this, what we see in this passage. Marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman united 
for life. Thirdly, what we're going to see is Jesus is answering this question, so he starts with creation, or he begins his answer with creation. It wasn't so in the beginning. That's why he says, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And notice verse 9, what therefore God has joined together. This is an important verse to understand divorce. What God has put together, let no man separate. And this is where we get to our third point and to help us really unpack divorce and the question of divorce. Here's the third one, and it should be on the screen. Divorce is never the ideal. It's, what we're going to see is it's permitted, but not at all encouraged. It is permitted, but not encouraged. It's never, divorce is never the ideal. You see, there's really three views on understanding what Jesus means when he says uh, in verse 10. So if you look down at verse 10, so they no longer two, well, therefore God is joined together. Let not man separate. Look at verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Well, that really helps us understand verse 9 when, when Jesus is saying, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So naturally what he's saying is, if man separates and you just try to cut off the marriage that God joined together through covenant relationship, what are you doing? He's saying you're committing adultery. By breaking that and going to another, you're breaking the, uh, the divorce and what God has designed. And so there was three predominant, and now you're probably going like, Eric, like surely there's something else here. I'm getting there. But first, I want you to hear the seriousness of divorce. Some of you have, because I've heard in your um, membership testimonies and hearing your testimonies and stories of, of your life and, your, and, and hearing in community group and getting to hear stories of how you just lit, grew up and lived and uh, your story of salvation for some. And to hear the brokenness, I mean, I've, I've heard it from several of you in this room who, who got to experience a lot of ugliness in your home because of divorce. Some of you have experienced that. Others of you maybe never experienced divorce from a blessing, but you lived in a, a messed up home. They might have stayed together, but it was ugly. It was really ugly. See, that's not the picture that we get of marriage. If you read all of Scripture, you will totally understand that marriage is to reflect something. Marriage reflects our relationship with God. It's not supposed to be messy, not supposed to be ugly. We're the messy ones. God's the faithful one. We're the ones who are broken in need of rescue. We're the ones broken and needing forgiveness. We're the ones who are saying, His mercy is more. I need more of His mercy because I have messed up yet again. And so when we say divorce is never the ideal, permitted but not encouraged, I want you to see there's three, basically three predominant views on divorce, and I'll tell you which one I personally and also us as a church, you can go into our statement of faith even on our website and you would see uh, some details there. Interestingly, as you're working through a statement of faith for a church plant, um, family, gender, and all those things probably sadly required the most stress, the most like detail, really trying to get your language right. Uh, we pro- I mean, Austin and I and another on our management team, we worked tirelessly actually on those phrasing and those kind of things. So you can, you can read it there. And we pray that we're doing exactly what God would want us to do and, 
we ask for your, uh, your grace as well. If somehow we haven't gotten it right, I, I believe we're faithful to the text of Scripture as well. But there's three predominant views. Um, one is that there's no grounds for divorce or remarriage. Simply meaning, what I mean by that is, obviously people can get a divorce, but from God's perspective, when he looks at a marriage and then someone breaks that marriage, that there is no grounds for divorce, meaning sin, that you're living in sin if you choose to uh, divorce. This is really a minority view. Not many hold this, um, uh, this view. Uh, basically, they say that the exception clause, so I want you to actually, because I haven't done this yet, I want to go um, to, to Matthew 19. You can actually go to, to Matthew 5 first. I'll read it there, and then I'll go to Matthew 19. But in Matthew 5, verse 30, I think it's 32. Yes. So the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus teaching. Again, some of the hard sayings that we have in Scripture. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 32. Here's what um, our Lord says. Verse 31 first. It says, It was also said, Whoever divorced his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Again, that's that. Deuteronomy 24 passage with Moses, right? Verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except, notice this phrase right here, it's if you have uh, the ESV is where I'm reading from, but you have a comma and then you have this clause and this is what many refer to as the exception clause. It says, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is again Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew 19, and in Matthew uh, 19, verse 9, again, in this, this is the parallel account of this story that we're looking at this morning from Mark 10. Uh, Luke, as well, gives a parallel account as well. But in Matthew 19, verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, again, comma, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So basically this view, uh, I mean, there are some, some popular, or I'd say John Piper, for instance, to single him out, uh, would be one who would hold actually to this view. Uh, and I might have gotten that wrong, but I'm pretty confident I've got that right. Um, and so just in case if somehow John Piper ever listens to this, and he says, Eric, why did you say that about me? Um, but I, I've, I've read several of his um, views on this as well, but um, he's a very strong view. And many take this exception clause because it's not in Mark. It's not in Mark 10. It's also not in the Luke passage as well. Paul doesn't mention it in 1 Corinthians 7 on his topic of divorce as well. So only Matthew has the exception clause. So I will give this uh, view not like, oh man, it's ridiculous, it's crazy. Um, this view basically takes this phrase, because Matthew's the only one writing, and Matthew was written, okay? Mark has been more to a Gentile audience. It's a little bit more to uh, a Gentile audience as he writes. Matthew is very much written to a Jewish audience. And Matthew, if you know, Matthew's the only one who tells the story from Joseph's perspective of him about to write, uh, write a certificate of divorce. And you may be like, well, why would he have written a certificate of divorce? They weren't married yet. Exactly. And that's how some people view this, is that this, by Matthew putting this in with a Jewish audience and with the story of Joseph in mind, that, that this was only, the certificate of divorce was only given to, because you have to understand, um, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Engagement. It's not engagement. So what? Yes, betrothal period. So the betrothal period, kind of like our engagement period, but it's much more. There was a legal contract already in place with the family. 
And so it was illegally already kind of binding that you are going to commit and marry this woman. And so when Mary, it seems, has had an affair on him, that he had the authority because of sexual immorality on Mary's part, thinking that, obviously we know Mary did not, uh, if that's not clear, again, we believe she's the, it's a virgin birth, uh, if, you, if, you have, if you haven't heard that before at December 25th or something, but, um, but, but anyways, the point being is that that was during the betrothal period. That you could get a divorce during the betrothal period, but not after consummating the marriage. Does that make sense? And so the view, that was, it's a minority view, but some do hold to that, saying that the exception clause only applied to this betrothal period, not to the actual marriage. Okay? The second view um, is that this one's held by, I would say, a good bit of people as well. Each of these really are kind of varying in, in their view. I'll explain which one we hold to. So far, not the first one, so if you were, if you were wondering. Number two, divorce but not remarry. Um, and so basically that you can get a divorce. And so basically what they're saying is the exception clause is only referring to the divorce, not the remarrying part. So basically, if you are the innocent party, you were sinned against, your husband or your wife has had an affair, you've been cheated on, you could get a divorce, but in this view, you could not remarry, Okay. And so this is held by a good number of people as well. Um, and so basically the exception is only on divorce, but doesn't apply. And so their interpretation of that would be on the exception clause, that it's just referring to divorce, not on the topic of remarriage. The third view, this is the traditional, I would say the traditional most common view of evangelicals. The one that we as a church hold to as well is divorce and remarriage are not the ideal, as, we've, as I said earlier, uh, but allowed with an exception. Um, and the exception being, as we just looked at, um, whoever divorces wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And uh, I would say this is the most predominant view. Um, and this might even be new to you, too. You're like, wait, you can, it's only on immorality, sexual immorality? Well, we'll get to 1 Corinthians 7 in just a second. I'm trying to do this as quickly as possible uh, as well. Um, but basically, in this view, the traditional view, it is that divorce and remarriage, they're not the ideal. They're allowed with an exception, and that exception being sexual immorality. Now, the question, though, is that word, you don't know, you don't, if you want to know what that word means in the Greek, it's porneia. And porneia sounds very similar to something that we've heard probably very, very much on the Internet, right? And so it's the idea of sexual immorality. That can vary. Um, that can vary from, obviously, an affair to sexual immorality with your eyes and looking at another person. It could be committing an act, but we know that Jesus talks about, like, hey, if you've lusted after a woman in, in your heart, it's as if you've already committed adultery in your heart. Um, so we take this very seriously, but at the same time, it doesn't mean, like, oh, as soon as someone has messed up, that, like, like again, divorce is the exception. It's not the, like, standard. It's not, like, commanded. Well, someone has committed adultery against me. I am getting a divorce. I'm moving on. That is not what we see actually in Scripture because the picture is the gospel. The gospel is the picture. Actually, if you've ever read Hosea, if you've never read Hosea, I would encourage you to read Hosea. And at first, you're like, if you read it once and you're like, what's happening? Feel free to call me. I'd, I'd love to, to walk through that book with you because when you're like, why is he naming his children not my people? <laughs> and you're like, what is, what's going on here? It's this picture of a, of a prophet who was called by God to go and marry a woman out of prostitution. He used to go and take her out of his wife. This woman who had given her life to prostitution, he used to go marry her. And sure enough, he does do that. He does exactly that. He marries this woman, takes her in. They have children together. You know what she does? She goes, she leaves him, and she goes right back to the prostitution again. 
And instead of just being like, man, fine, <laughs> in his eyes, maybe good riddance, finally, I can move on from this. Thanks, God. No, he goes, God calls him to go back to the one who's loved by another and go and bring her back again and show love to her. And sure enough, he does this. And you know the description of that is the description of, of exactly God with his people. How, how Israel, for centuries upon centuries, continued to uh, commit adultery against God. They worshipped things, and they loved the, the, oh man, this looks really good. They're enticed by this, this thing or this, what these people in this other country, the way they live and the way they do things, oh, we like that. I know God said we shouldn't do this and that we're not to marry uh, these foreign women who, who worship false gods and do all these things, but they get lured into it, and they were committing adultery against their God. But God didn't give up on them. He pursued them. He didn't let, let them live in their sin. He continued to love and pursue. And so when we think of these three views and we think of the different, different aspects of this passage, if you go back to Mark chapter 10, it is difficult. But I want you to hear, though, a few things. Um, and, or actually, let's first go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, really quickly, I, I want to make sure we mention this as well. 1 Corinthians 7. Um, so that's just a little bit further back after the Gospels. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul is writing, <clears throat> and he's writing on um, the principles of marriage, and uh, you, can, you can read all, some of the details to you as well, um, but look at verse, verse 10. Verse 10, he says, to the married I give this charge, but not I, but the Lord, meaning not this, that like that when Paul's writing, it's not inspired by God. He's just meaning Jesus didn't say these words, like the Lord Jesus didn't speak this. I'm saying this, but again, we believe in the inspiration of Scripture that when Paul was writing these letters, that, he is, that God was speaking through him. So that's what he's saying here. I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And, he, and he's explaining this, and then he goes on to say, look at verse 12, and I'll keep reading a little bit. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. Meaning, like the hope is that through this marriage to a Christian, to a follower of Jesus, that the, that the other person who's not a follower of Jesus will come to follow Jesus. That hopefully through that marriage and through that relationship, again, that shouldn't be what you seek out, but say you're in this marriage now and you're starting to follow Jesus. You're not like, well, my husband doesn't follow or my wife doesn't follow Jesus. I need to just get out of this because it's bad for me. No, Paul's saying, no, it's, you stay in that marriage. Love them. Show them the gospel, and my, the hope is that they will come to saving faith in Jesus. And so he says, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children remain, would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But, notice verse 15, here's another exception for us. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not, here's our word, not enslaved, meaning they're freed, Okay? So basically what we would say as a church, and this is the predominant view of most um, Bible-believing churches, not all, definitely there are very, 
is that divorce is allowed, again, allowed. It's not God's design is not, just get a divorce and, and move on. No, actually it's the opposite. The goal is restoration. The goal is repentance and turning from sin. And when sin is, is approached and dealt with, to not just run from it and say, I give up on you. No, it's actually the opposite. It's go after that person, love them, help them. Uh, try to show forgiveness, but sometimes that person is unrepentant, continuing to hurt and to break the covenant that they had made with their spouse. And in those cases of the desertion, sexual immorality, what we believe is that the innocent party, if there's unrepentant, um, if there's an unrepentance from the, the um, offending party, that there's freedom to eventually divorce. And I hear a couple of principles really quickly before we close. Um, I think that's important to understand here. One is, I've already said, and I'll say it again, um, the goal in marriage is to reflect Christ. The goal should be forgiveness and grace. The goal should be mercy. But that does not mean that you continue to be abused and you let yourself be abused do not live in silence. Do not keep that to yourself. I would encourage you and plead with you privately, confidentially talk to myself as the, one of the elders or the only elder currently uh, at Redeemer, but our management team, I would seek their wisdom and counsel as well, and we would help walk through that. When you're, even when you're contemplating and start that divorce thing comes into your mind, I mean, don't try to do that and f- make those decisions on your own. Seek wise counsel. Please don't sit in that and try to deal with it on your own. Listen, the goal is not to just be unhappy in your marriage. We want a happy, wholesome, great marriages that are thriving at Redeemer. We want to see that. I spent a series on that, and you can go back and look it back at that. I think that was in May, where we talked on marriage and family. Like, like listen, invest in your marriage. This, is, this isn't like, like, if you were to go to the doctor, the doctor's like, you go to the doctor, and you're like, hey, I got a problem in marriage. Let's amputate. You're like, if you went to the doctor and you're like, man, I've got, a, I've got this finger and it's just a little bit infected. He's like, all right, we got to cut it off. Like, no, that's not what you would want from your doctor. You would want like, all right, what's the treatment plan? How can we get this right? We don't need to just amputate. But that's what we tend to do with marriage. Like, man, my marriage is falling apart. Just move on. Let's find something else. It's the only solution. There, that may end up being, yes, the only solution. That's what we're saying here. But that shouldn't be like, let's jump to that right away. We seek the Lord. We pray earnestly. We try to forgive. We continue to forgive. We try to show love. But listen, do not, do not, and I want to say this again and again, do not let someone just abuse you and hurt you physically, verbally. Um, Listen, you're not meant to just get pounded, literally or figuratively. So please, whether that needs to eventually, we're not law enforcement as a church as well, so sometimes the law actually has to get involved. But in other cases, like where how we can help and serve you and your family. But what, what I believe is so important here is this. Is there such a, still a, a stigma, especially in the church, when it comes to divorce? And I want you to hear this last and fourth point. It's this. God's grace and forgiveness. God's grace and forgiveness is always greater than any sin. God's grace and forgiveness I think it might say are. I don't know if it should be is or not. Someone can correct me with my grammar there. It could have been is. As I was saying it, I'm like, I think it might be is. But God's grace and forgiveness is, are, is greater than any sin. And I want you to hear me on this. And hear our Lord. Jesus isn't trying to beat people up who have had failed marriages with guilt. 
This isn't some unforgivable sin. Earlier in Mark, we looked at the topic of the unforgivable sin. In Mark 3, actually verse 3, verse 28, we hear this phrase used, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven. Hear this, you can be forgiven. Maybe some of you in your past, you have had a divorce and you're like, you know what, I'm, as I'm hearing you, I don't think it was a biblical divorce. We just we kind of fell out of love. Like we, didn't, we were just going in different directions and so we just kind of decided to dissolve the marriage. We didn't really have any kids involved at the time or whatever. We just kind of moved on. And you're like, you're looking back and you're looking at this and you're like, man, I have never heard this before. What should I do? I'm now in a marriage. Should I, should I now get a divorce to try to re-go back to that marriage? What, what should I do? Should I just live in this way? Listen, I want you first to hear this, that all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven. The call for you, whether you have sinned in the past and you're currently living in a, a new marriage that isn't designed by God, that wasn't a biblical divorce, I would encourage you, repent. Ask God's forgiveness. Talk to your spouse about that and move forward. You don't like, like, okay, well, let me just go back. No, you live in that relationship now as it is. I would not say like, oh, okay, I'm just going to end this relationship. No, I mean, this is the picture of grace. We were singing about amazing grace. We were singing about his mercy is more. His mercy and his grace is for the hurt, the one who's feeling guilt, the one who's feeling shame. When you read the Gospels as we have been slowly going through, there is never an instance, not a single one, where a person comes seeking repentance and is rejected by God. Not one. And so if you're here this morning and you feel shame and the stigma over you, know, I mean, listen, know that Jesus sees you and he loves you. And this is exactly why he came. He came for sinners just like me and just like you. And marriage is this picture of our relationship with God, one where God enters into a covenant relationship with you. One that he will never turn his back. Do you want to know what God did when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were sinning, when we were whoring against him, when we were living like a prostitute against this great holy God? Do you want to know what he was doing? He was on a cross, and he didn't abandon it. When he was in the garden, he didn't say, you know what? I give up on these people. They keep being unfaithful to me. They've cheated on me. They cheat on me over and over again. I'm not doing this. I give up. Let's send the angels. Let's end this. Let's move on. No. What did he do? He stayed. He stayed and he actually went all the way to a cross. He suffered. He was crucified. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds were healed. I'm so glad he stayed. So if you're in a, a messed up marriage, man, listen, seek counsel, get help. Listen, but, but listen, sometimes, yes, that, is, that is, ends up being the solution. That person continues to cheat on you. You're not supposed to just stay and get cheated on over and over again in unrepentance. No, that's the instance that we see. That's the exception that we see. And if you're being abused or other, especially women, if that is happening, please don't live in silence there. Seek help. Seek help. But for each of us, as we think of our marriages, how can we invest in our marriages? How can we invest in our relationship? Instead of just jumping to divorce, let's just amputate. No, what, what's the cure? What's some, what's some medicines? What's some things that we can implement into our marriage to seek a closeness, a oneness? And this is why I'm so thankful for the gospel and, and being reminded of my sin and God's grace towards me. So let me pray. We're going to observe communion here together in just a second, but I want to pray 
I want to pray specifically for our marriages and for those of you that are single, maybe some who are divorced and others who uh, are maybe even contemplating. You know, like lately, you've, that word's come up in your, in your fights. Can I just pray for you this morning? I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll transition to uh, some time together at the table this morning. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace um, that is given to us, but also, God, the, the, the harsh reality seriousness of marriage, that we do not go into marriage lightly. We take it very seriously because your word is very serious about marriage. God, we know that divorce is never, never the ideal, but because of the hardness of our hearts that we live in a broken world where relationships become torn, where brokenness happens, that there is grace, there's mercy, there's, there's help through these things. Father, I thank you for the grace and the forgiveness that's always greater than all of our sin. So Father, if there's someone in this room who's feeling the shame, maybe the, for the first time, maybe guilt over an unbiblical divorce, I pray, Father, that you would help them to know that you love them, that you care for them, that they should just call out to you. Maybe, it's, maybe it, they need to repent. Maybe they've never repented and ask for your forgiveness, Father. I pray that they'll do that. And God, I also pray, Father, for the marriages that are maybe on the rocks, that are hurting. Father, may your, may your grace pour into their relationship. Maybe they become one again. Maybe they're kind of becoming separate. They're living two different lives, and their relationship's gotten a little tight and tense, and there's been fights and arguments. God, I, will you be gracious in these marriages, and will you speak to someone in that relationship, and one person, all it takes is one to step up and say, I am sorry, for what I've done to you. That may it begin a, a, a movement of seeking forgiveness and grace and marriages and these relationships. Father, I pray for our teens. Grow up in such a culture that's just so flippant when it comes to relationships and the madness of our culture. God, I pray for them. I pray for their future spouses. God, would you be gracious to bring godly uh, spouses for these individuals. And we pray for our homes as well and we ask your blessings on them. We ask them in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen.